Hello and welcome to Get Birding, a guide to bird watching and a home for stories about birds, brought to you by me, Bird Girl, and supported by Seven Trent Water and Swarovski Optic. Let's see if there's anything singing in the trees around here. This is the actor Samuel West. He snuck away from filming the series All Creatures Great and Small to help us tune in to the sound of birds. Let's see if we can get closer. We'll have a listen. Samuel's a master at recognising birdsong, and we'll get his top tips on how you can learn birdsong too. We'll also be learning to recognise birds like this robin, with a woman who calls herself a nature nerd and wildlife weirdo, Lucy Lapwing. Some birds will repeat a phrase again and again and again, and it sounds pretty similar every time. Other birds, you're more kind of trying to recognise its voice like you recognise a friend's voice. And, as ever, nature beatboxer Jason Singh tells a story of birdsong inspiring music. He'll be talking to Sam Lee about the magical music he orchestrates with this bird, the nightingale. All we are is just two different species communicating in our own strange ways and music is such an unusual and strange thing for us to do, yet it's essential to us. Regular listeners will know that we usually start with a patch diary from me, but in this episode we have a guest diary from Samuel West. Samuel recorded his patch diary for us in Harrogate, where he's filming. Here he is, in Valley Gardens. Hello, Maya Rose. I'm here just before sunrise, and I thought I'd just tell you what I can hear as I walk through. I'm holding the microphone, so most of my birding will be done by my ears, and most of the stuff around is common. It's just waking up, and I can hear in the background robins, long-tailed tits, blue tits, and I'll see what I can get as I walk through. I think the point about birding your local patch is always to enjoy the common stuff because first of all if you know the common stuff well then you'll be more switched on when something that isn't common turns up and secondly because you know most of the time that's what you're going to hear and see a couple of blackbirds crossing in front of me they have a tiny little flight call, which is very hard to hear sometimes. Let's see if there's anything singing in the trees around here. That's slightly wavering. Doo, doo, doo. There's another robin sounding a little sadder this time much more the tone of voice with Robin than the form of the song. If we listen to a chaffinch singing, it will always sing the same tune. But the Robin doesn't sing the same tune. It sort of warbles as it is now. In fact, there it is, just next to me. Maybe 15 feet away. Are you going to sing? We tend to think of robins as you know, lovely, friendly creatures that come and perch on our spade when we're digging or on our holly at Christmas. 
But actually they're fairly aggressive birds. That red breast to other birds means danger. And they sing all year round, not because they're being friendly, although it may seem like that to us, but because they're defending a territory and they want it to be theirs in the new year. You very rarely see two robins in the same tree. We'll hear more of Sam's patch diary in a moment. But first, let's learn a little more about him. I asked how he became so good at bird watching with his ears. I took a difficult job in 2005. I became artistic director of the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield. And it was really hard. And I couldn't do it a lot of the time. And I couldn't sleep a lot of the time because I couldn't do it. So I used to go for walks. And I lived in the west of Sheffield, on the edge of that beautiful city, quite close to some Derbyshire grouse moors. And I had a car and I used to head out into the middle of a grouse moor, or just a forest, and walk before breakfast because I couldn't sleep. And I suddenly realised that I was hearing things that I couldn't identify. Stuff that I now know was, for instance, a goldcrest or, um, or a chaffinch even. And because I wasn't fully relocated, I was doing a lot of driving between London and Sheffield. And I got some CDs by that absolute master of bird recording, Jeff Sample. And I stuck it on the CD and bombed down the M1. And after about 10 trips, I kind of knew it by heart. <laughs> and then I remember the first time I was walking with my girlfriend in, I think it was Epping Forest. And we heard a very, very um, high tsi, tsi, tr, tr. I said to her, I said, I think, I think that's a long-tailed tit. And I went round the tree, and it was. And I felt like a superhero. I was so excited. I said, I, I, you know, I've got these bionic ears. I don't need to look even. <laughs> uh, and it was a completely captivating feeling that I thought, OK, this guy's been here all the time, but now I can do it without looking. And I suppose I've, I've got a reasonably good repertoire of about, I mean, not many, 30 or 40 birds that I can get by sound without thinking too carefully. Uh, and another probably 50 that I could do if I really stopped and thought about it. And so I can walk through a wood and generally speaking do about 80% of my birding with my ears. In the background, you can hear the call of the wood pigeon. I was taught the wood pigeon's call as, I'm not your pigeon. Ho, 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 ho. Though, if you listen very carefully, it actually doesn't start on I'm, it starts on not. So you might remember it as, not your pigeon, I'm. Not your pigeon, I'm. Next time you're next to one, listen to it. It just finishes with the last note, so what we think is the start is actually the end. We too, we too, we too, in the background. Teacher, teacher, teacher. One of the most common great tit calls. The only one my three-year-old can recognise so far. I'm going to leave Sam to his walk for a minute. He's up as the sun is rising. Up with the birds, you might say. So why are the birds up and singing so early? Why do we get what's known as a dawn chorus? Lucy Lapwing hosts a YouTube channel called Birdsong Lessons. So let's ask her. The reason it happens earlier in the day is actually 
it's still disputed even today. There's multiple reasons and all of them could interact. So one is it's showing that you are the fittest bird, that you, you know, you are a brilliant mate because if you start singing first thing in the morning, that shows that you've gone all night without eating anything, that you've survived all the cold and you've survived the dark, which is full of scary things like predators. So you are a big sexy male and look what I did. I made it through the night. So if you get up first thing and start singing, you're showing a female that you're a good mate. One of the other reasons, um, but at that time in the morning, because it is colder, there's less background competition. So if you think of things like insects, they're not humming and buzzing, you know, at 4 or 5 a.m. It's too cold. So there's less competition. So your voice just stands out more. And the other thing is because there's not really much else to do at 4 a.m. If you're awake, <laughs> um, if there's no food about, if it's too dark to see your food. And like I said, if that food is insects and it's not active yet, what else are you going to do if you're a bird? So it's kind of that perfect time to keep yourself busy, show yourself that you're a good mate and uh, yeah, get your point across, shout the loudest. I'm coming into a more open area now. Everybody's up now. It starts with blackbirds and robins first thing. Oh, there's a song thrush ahead. Easiest thing to know about song thrush song is that it's very pleased with itself. It repeats when it does a phrase it likes, or even possibly when it does a phrase that it doesn't like. It sings it again. Very pure toned. Do 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 do. Getting closer to it. It doesn't seem to be stopping. So. This is one that I get sent all the time because if you don't know what to listen for, it can completely throw you. And I remember hearing this when I was about twelve or thirteen in my parents' garden. I remember I was hanging up washing for my mum, and I went inside and said. Mum, I can hear this bird and it sounds like like loads of different birds and it, you need to come and listen. And she just was like, what are you on about? We'll have a listen to it first and then I'll describe it. it's quite mixed in there there was also a chaffinch singing at the same time unhelpfully but song thrush is amazing because it is kind of this like not mimic but it will pick a phrase so it'll pick a noise um, and it'll test it out so I like to think of it as this really indecisive fussy bird so it picks a noise it'll say it two three four maybe even five times get bored of it chuck it aside move on to the next so you hear it say one noise kind of goes like do 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 and then it'll pause and go, nah, and then it'll go, woo-hoo, 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 and then it'll go, nah, and then it'll go, ee, ee, ee. <laughs> These are terrible impressions, but that's the kind of rhythm that you get into with it. So they can make wonderful, amazing, varied noises all within one song, and they just go on and on and on. So they're one of my absolute favourites, because they're just, they're just really wacky. They're, they're brilliant. <laughs> There's a robin in the conifers off to the left. The robin song is memorably described by Jeff Sample in his wonderful Garden Bird CD as 
two to three second bursts of clear toned warbling. And as he says, overall it has a slightly melancholy air. Perhaps a bit less melancholy in spring, but I suppose that might be confirmation bias as it gets lighter. You can't really identify Robin's song by its form. They don't tend to sing the same tune, but they have a very similar tone of voice. Now, let's hear how to memorise the sound of a robin and how to tell it apart from blackbirds, which sound similar. The blackbird is... I mean, it's just one of the most gorgeous songs, first of all. It immediately just calms you, I think. And it, I can almost smell spring when I hear it. And the way I was taught Blackbird is to imagine that it's like an old man whistling. So imagine like, you know, your granddad down the bottom of the garden, potting about the shed, and it's just that kind of mindless, you know, I'm doing a bit of planting, just tuneless whistle. It's really, really deep. It's quite melancholy. And it does sound a little bit reminiscent of a human whistle. It's quite slow. And the structure of it when it sings is that it sings for a bit and then it pauses. And it pauses for quite an amount of time and then it'll sing again. So some birds will repeat a phrase again and again and again and it sounds pretty similar every time. Other birds, you're more kind of trying to recognise its voice like you recognise a friend's voice. So he's saying different things but you're recognising the voice behind it. So every time it sings it's making a slightly different noise and then it pauses and then it sings and then it pauses. Um, so it's a really beautiful song to listen to. Now, the way I learned these two, kind of, they relate to each other. The next one I'm going to play is The Robin. Again, a really, really familiar songster. Both blackbirds and robins can kind of sing year-round, robins more so. Um, and robins have quite a similar structure to the song. So if I play that. So it's got that. Wait for it. So it's got that sing and that pause and that sing and that pause again like the blackbird but it's much higher pitched and people describe the robin as being sweet it's got like a sweet melodious tone to it so it's kind of like that blackbird but that little bit much higher and you can kind of compare them to each other so they'll both sing at the same time now both blackbirds and robins will actually sing in the middle of the night so quite often I get people sending me recordings from like 2 or 3 a.m. <laughs> and they're like, what is this bird? Um, there's a few that sing in the night. There's the blackbird and the robin, the most common. And if you're very lucky, you'll hear a nightingale, which I've never heard in real life, but they sing throughout the night as well. So yeah, that's the kind of the difference between those two. Before this episode, we asked you to tell us the bird song that stops you in your tracks. James told us about the little Dunnock that made his morning, and Sue shared her love for Dunnocks too. The song thrush was a popular one. Robins, blackbirds and sparrows got a mention. There was one vote for the sedge warbler. Owen told us that buzzards always catch his attention, and Duncan remembered hearing parakeets in London, and Kevin told us that he heard a sulphur-crested cockatoo that was sitting with its owner in a car. We also had two shout-outs for the bee-eater. In fact, let's hear a bee-eater. We've also had more recordings sent in. This wonderful story is from George Cook, who went out in search for Wren. Hello, my name's George, and today I've come to my local park in South Bristol to try and hear one of my favourite birds with a brilliant bird song, and that is the Wren. 
for me the wren is one of my favorite birds because it was one of the first birds i learned to id just from its bird song alone i've got this nice memory of camping out in my back garden uh, during lockdown one and it was a lovely sunny day and i woke up in the morning listening to a bird singing and i was like that's a wren and it was the first time i could identify it just from its bird song and i didn't realize i had wrens so close to my garden which was really great to find out and learning its bird song just makes the bird become so much more accessible because although the wren is the most common breeding bird in britain it's actually really hard to see because it's so small it's brown and it likes to hide away in the undergrowth so you hardly ever see it i suppose it lives its life a bit more like a mouse than a bird really but then come spring it will just burst out into this really loud and powerful song and you can barely imagine that it comes from such a tiny bird and it's a easy one to start to learn or at least it was for me and that's because you can just listen out for part of the song there's like a rattle at the end of the wren song which can identify it as a wren it's almost like a wren holding a little machine gun that it's firing off at the end of its song or it's been wound up and it's got so much volume and energy that by the end of the song it can't contain it and it just rattles out so yeah that's definitely my favorite bird song the wren thank you so much george that idea of a rattle in their song just makes so much sense to me let's get some more tips on how to hear wrens from lucy now the wren i absolutely love as you know such a diddy little bird they look really grumpy they've got a stumpy little tail and they hold the crown title of the most decibels per gram of any british bird so they are so loud you can actually like technically you could damage your hearing if you held one and it sang next to your ear for whatever reason (laughs) they are incredibly loud and that's one of the first impressions you get when you hear it so if we play the song It's got one phrase that it repeats, and although it doesn't kind of do the same thing of just constantly sing, pause, sing, pause, it has that that one phrase of the song that lasts a few seconds. And the first impression when you hear it is volume, like I said, it's shouting at you. It's a really, really high-pitched noise, which makes sense for such a tiny little bird. You'd expect that as kind of like a character. And Lucy's got a lovely description of that rattle that George told us about. Imagine that it's a little wind-up toy. So if you sit it down on your hand and wind it all the way up, there's so much noise that comes out of that bird when you let it go that it can't control itself and it kind of loses control and goes like... (laughs) and like rattles away and that's in the middle of the song. So if you listen again, you can hopefully hear that just a little bit. It's like like a rattly trill. And when a wren starts singing, they set off this kind of chain reaction in the undergrowth. So if you're in the woods and you hear one sing closer to you, you can hear one a little bit further away set off and then that sets off another and another. And it's just kind of this fizz that spreads out. It's amazing. I've mentioned a few times in this podcast that I think wrens get overlooked. But this episode seems to be writing that wrong because Samuel West picked it out as his bird to watch. I mean, a wren is a famously small bird. It's, It's so small it used to be on the back of the farthing coin. It's beautifully marked, if you can get a good good close look. It's got a very characteristic stance with a cocked tail. They're normally quite low and they're sometimes quite well hidden, but you can see them singing if you're careful. Or more importantly, listen for it. The wren is, along with the, the goldcrest, the smallest bird in Britain, but it must make the noisiest noise con- compared to its size. And also, 
they sing all the year round. So if, if you do get to recognise the song, which is faster and more explosive than a robin and full of more trills than a dunnock, then you should be able to hear it over and over again. And that makes me want to ask, if you were a bird, what bird would you be? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I've long suspected that my spirit animal is a duck. Um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you like the Northern Lights trilogy, where everybody mm. has demons and, you know, everybody would like to have a tiger or a pine marten or something, <laughs> mine would definitely be a duck. Um, I'll tell you what, no, i tell you what, no. I'd be, I'd be a gadwall, because a gadwall mm. is like a wren in that you think, oh, it's sort of grey. And you look carefully at a gadwall, and actually it's the most beautifully coloured thing. Even the females, um, you know, which look a bit like mallards, are sort of subtly longer-necked, and the bill is differently marked. And the males have this grey breast. They're beautiful birds. My partner and I, for no reason we can remember, have a thing called the gadwall prize. When we're out birding, um, the first person to see a gadwall gets the gadwall prize. And the other one's the other person's really cross. It's traditional, and we both we both get it almost exactly half the time, and we don't do it with any other species. It's just gadwalls. I don't know why. It probably sounds terribly smug, but it does mean that when we get to a lake, we immediately start looking for gadwalls very very carefully. And I think mm, I'd love to be a gadwall. They're they're um, they're they're very fine and um, and subtle and kind of minimalist. Now. I'm almost ready to go out and try birdwatching by ear for myself. But before I do, I'm going to take a few more tips from you. This is another story sent in to us. This one from Jules, who's listening out for a zipping sound. Morning. My name's Jules Acton and I'm sitting here in the morning in the garden with my dog friend Pepe. I'm feeling very lucky to have access to a garden during these days of lockdown, feeling very grateful for that. And I'm making the most of it by learning about birdsong and really trying to tune into the sounds all around me. It's something I've wanted to do for years actually and always failed. Um, and then somebody gave me a great tip and it, it's a chap called Julian Branscombe from People and Wildlife Ghana and he said, just listen to one bird, just really, really focus on that bird to begin with. And then one day you'll listen to another bird and think that's not the same. And you just start building it up from there. And I started off with a robin um, and now I feel like I'm on about eight sounds uh, and raring to go with more. Anyway, one of my favourite sounds is of the long-tailed tit. They are gorgeous little birds, as, as you all may, might know. They're little fluffy, sociable things with the best nests ever. Um, and they sometimes make this little quirky little zipping sound. And I like to think of them sometimes sort of unzipping their anoraks in the mornings when the sun starts warming up the day. They are lovely. And I heard them described the other day by Michaela Strachan on the radio as bum barrels. So that's a term I think we should all be using a lot more of. So thank you to everybody who's helping me on my birdsong journey. Good luck to everybody else on theirs. And love to you all and um, happy searching for bum barrels. Take care. Bye. Richard Graham sent in our next one. He's a former soldier and suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. Birdsong and nature sounds are my main go-to coping mechanism to create good mental wellness. When I do listen to birdsong, I close my eyes. The birds elegantly chime like a soothing choir or symphony. My mind and soul feel cleansed, focused. The past and the future no longer matter. 
just the presence, the here and the now. Life's hustle and bustle disappears. The world stops moving and for this single moment, peace surrounds me. If I am unable to go outside and listen due to the weather or time of day, I put on my headphones and listen to recording. I invite you to do the same. Close your eyes. Take five deep breaths. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Focus on the sounds, the sing-song tones, the rhythm, the rhyme, behind the elegance of the birdsong, and feel the flow through your mind. I wish you all good mental well-being. Thank you Richard for sending that to us, and to everyone who's been messaging us on social media. Please keep your messages coming on Twitter and Instagram at GetBirdingPod. Hearing how emotionally Samuel West has been talking about the birds he's seen on his morning walk, I wanted to know if birds have helped him through the last year. Oh gosh yes, so much. And I particularly found it useful in October when the summer was over and the brief period of lockdown lifting was over and we were about to go back into what was a, what was going to be a darker, wetter, longer day. I had a day in Norfolk just to spend a day in the company of wildlife, not just birds, but principally birds, who were quietly and efficiently getting on with their life and not really worrying about how badly we've managed to screw up ours. I, I think that does speak of hope. But I do I do think it can it's it's important to get out and realise that some of your problems are limited just because they're human. And if you can see something that is not even a human not even a mammal, just sort of hunting. A kestrels always do it for me. Watching a kestrel hover, concentrating. There's an extraordinary quote by um, Iris Murdoch. I can't remember it exactly, but she talks about going out with these human problems and then seeing a kestrel and suddenly the world is all kestrel and, and somehow you're released from your, your sort of narrow little mindset. Since I had children, I've come to believe really that <laughs> it's a weird thing when you are a child that you reckon the world sort of starts when you're born. Nothing that happened before really matters. And then when you have children, you realise that everything that happened before leads up to their birth. And so instead of thinking that you're born into the world, like you do when, you, when you're a child, I have this funny feeling now that you sort of emerge out of it, like a leaf on a tree. And I like this feeling because it makes me feel connected to other living things that aren't necessarily me and aren't necessarily human. And Birding really helps, really helps me tap into that thing of just going, okay, my problems are my own, and this bird that I've never seen before doesn't share them, and I can be interested in that species, I can be interested in that thing that I've never seen before, and I can watch it going about its business, and, um, and be charmed by its song, or dazzled by its plumage, or just confused by what it's doing. And, yeah. <laughs> and not and not worry for 
for a bit, uh, as well as getting some exercise and some fresh air. I mean, it, it absolutely does it for me. I'm about to go out on a longer walk than my usual daily stroll, so I'm going to try my hand at trying to figure out what I could be hearing. And I'm also going to try out this app called Chirpomatic. And I also have my dad with me, who does know what the bird songs are, so he can be checking that I'm actually getting it all right. So, only just started out on our walk. Well, literally, we haven't even gotten into the countryside. We're in the middle of the village still. And obviously, on this walk, I'm concentrating on sound, on birdsong. And I noticed the sound that I had no idea what it was. So I thought I would try out the bird app. And it turns out that there is a greenfinch sat in the middle of the village calling, which is really exciting because that's quite a rare record. And I can't think of any occasions where I've actually seen them in the village. So although I haven't seen this one either, I do know what it is. So that's exciting to know that there is a greenfinch sat in the hedge a few metres away. I think that is a dunnock that you can hear calling right now. So I'm just going to use this app and then ask my dad to see if I'm right. And this is a sound that I actually hear all the time, which I'd sort of forgotten about, but apparently we've got a lot of very aggressive, very territorial dunnocks in the area. And yes, I was right, it is a dunnock. Um, the app has confirmed it. And that's a nice little recording of which song we're listening to right now. In the background of a lot of these recordings, I think you might be able to hear the sort of very typical cawing of crows because um, we are currently stood right next to a field full of sheep and there are a lot of crows around. So we've got a few different things going on here. Um, but something that's quite cool is that there's a flock of goldfinches sort of twittering in the background and if you listen closely you can hear them behind all the other birds. Um, there's also a lot of house sparrows in the area um, and if you're lucky you might also be able to hear them. But the main song is of course the robin which is singing its heart out at the top of a tree that I'm staring at right now. One of the um, nice things about this walk has been that before I came out I was a bit worried that there just wouldn't be that many birds singing in the first place because I'd never noticed that much bird song around. But now that I'm really listening out for it, I'm realising just how constant that background sort of soundscape of birds really is. And it's really nice. I've just gotten back from a longer than usual walk and 
I had a fantastic time actually keeping an ear out for birdsong the entire time. I think one of the reasons I've always been anxious about birdsong is just because I am a perfectionist basically and I felt like my birdsong identification skills just weren't perfect so they weren't good um, and I've realised, you know, now that I am listening out that I knew more than I thought I did and I think that that is a really nice feeling basically um, usually sort of walk along nattering to whoever I'm walking with keeping an eye out for stuff but having a chat, you know and I spent quite a lot of the walk today just quiet and listening and sort of hearing the natural world and it was really nice it was really lovely and I was sort of I guess I was worried that there wouldn't be enough birdsong, which sounds silly now, but I was worried that there wouldn't be that many birds to sort of ID the song of or the call of while I was out and about, but once I started listening there was so much and it was also quite nice a few times because once I'd figured out what I was listening to I was able to then look around and find it as well and watch it. The um, app that I was trying, Chirpomatic, it was actually really good. Um, it picked up everything. It picked up some background things that I couldn't even really hear. The only downside is you do have to pay for it, which is a shame, but I um, tried out some of the free ones. They weren't even half as good, really. Yeah, as you can hear in the background, I'm sat in my garden again, and there's loads of birds really going for it, and I'm probably gonna sit here for a while and try and figure out what they are. Now, in each episode of Get Birding, we've been hearing how birds and birdsong have inspired music and culture. This time, nature beatboxer Jason Singh is with Sam Lee. He's a folk artist and he takes people to hear the nightingales and then tries to make music with them. It's a nice one. Thank you for joining me. I'd like you to please describe to me about the nightingale listening events that you do and talk me through what happens because I haven't been to one and for everyone who's listening, could you please just talk us through that wonderful evening? It's, it's very simple in that 30 people come down to the site in Sussex, a secret location, and we sit around the fire. We start with a birdsong identification walk and looking at this amazing ecosystem in the habitat where we, we are. We sit and have an organic feast around the fire and drink wine. It's all included and they're looked after. And then after dinner, there's an hour or so of as the, as the nighttime comes of songs and stories. And I recount the kind of different tales of the nightingale. And then at around 10.15, we wrap up warm and we've spent a bit of time learning about presence in nature, sensory awareness, and just preparing people to go on what is a half an hour walk through the woods without any torches in single file in total silence walking really slowly closer and closer to the nightingale at which point we reach the habitat where the nightingales are and we sit and lie down in the grass below the blackthorn bush and we just get rinsed through by this song and then myself and the other musicians enter very gently and sensitively we're only 10 feet away into this kind of musical ritual this ceremony with the bird can you tell us a little bit more about the duet with the nightingale and what that is like 
the great joy of seeing with Nightingales is that every night I get to bring a different musician in and every musician has a different relationship. And sometimes you bring a musician who's the world-class, the finest trained concert player and nothing happens. It's just kind of like, it's like a bad date. <laughs> oh, wow. and, and some nights you have a musician. Like a few years ago, we had Abel Salaucha, the South African cellist. And the nightingale went mental. Just, just started singing in such harmony and rhythm, and the audience were just in stitches that this was happening because you suddenly realise how all we are is just two different species, kind of communicating in our own strange ways. And music is such an unusual and strange thing for us to do, yet it's essential to us. And we couldn't imagine being a humans without singing and playing. And it's the same with the nightingale. And I think there is some, there are some just fundamental things of what happens, which is that we are there to play and express and connect. And that's that's I think that's remarkable. Do the nightingales respond to any particular kind of, like, instrument? So, yeah, they love strings and they love the human voice. But I really always emphasise that it's not about the instrument, it's about the instrumentalist. Because I think what's happening is they're tuning in with the human and the and those musicians who are connected, who are have that groundedness and that sort of that glint in the eye and that sense of wildness. Um, so often the, the jazzers, the improvisers, they're the ones who are so receptive to, because the, the Nightingale is a, is a master improviser. So I think those are the musicians that respond well. So, can you tell me a little bit about the nightingale? Because I want to know what it's like as a character. What is it like as a being? Yeah, well, I only know the boys. The females are very hard to get to know because they are much more secretive. And I've only a few times seen a nightingale. But I, I, I know him at night as this uh, multiple personalities of the, the different birds that I've spent time with. They say from studies in actually in Berlin, in, in Treptow Park and the Tiergarten, um, but there are three different personalities. There's the collaborators, the often the young ones who are really like loved singing call and responses with each other. There's other birds that are very disruptive who want to try and break off the other males from singing and really kind of like get out my way, don't steal my thunder. And then there's the other personality that's the one that's sort of just sings on regardless whatever's going on. And, uh, you know, we just sit on top of the, the traffic lights, in, you know, in Berlin and just sing away. It doesn't matter that there's a electro party going on below. They probably quite like that, actually. Um, so there's that side of them. But there's also, for me, the, the Nightingale is a channeler of our own kind of inner workings and spirit. And I mean that on a quite a kind of, dare I say, quite a new age level. But I find that, you know, that you look at history and the way literature and prose and folk song has responded and talked or sung about the, the bird. And it's so varied from comical to mournful 
and actually I find the nightingale is a wonderful mirror to our own inner workings and you bring to the nightingale your issues your emotions your fears your pleasures there's a great sense of resilience and astounding declaration of life it's transportative it's utterly it's just you know it's mind-blowing and nobody leaves the same person you, everyone comes away quite changed wow And so when did this whole love affair with Nightingale start? It began many years ago, introduced by friends of mine who took me to hear my first Nightingale down in Sussex, not far from where I run my Sing With Nightingale's events. And that led to a, a sort of a yearly determination. I had to, like, it was spring, I had to go and find a Nightingale. I didn't know why. It was just like, oh, your favourite singer's in town doing a concert. I've got to get tickets. I never miss it. You're always there. And the Nightingale was like that. But it was like, but I was the only person who kind of was interested. So I go on my own or find myself with them. And then that evolved into this kind of experience where I got to make a documentary for Radio 4 celebrating the first ever live radio broadcast outside of a studio with Beatrice Harrison on cello in 1924, duetting with the nightingale very famous historical event that the bbc seemingly missed as part of their 90th celebration and i wrote a letter at the right time and they made me go down and record with the nightingales and there i sang and played with the birds and Brilliant. had the, the amazing moment of the bird responding that was Sam Lee talking to Jason Singh. And if that's got you wanting to know more about the myth and the music of this mysterious songbird, it's all in Sam's book, The Nightingale, which is out on March 25th. Next time, we're talking about migration, and we want your stories of the arrival of birds and what it means to you. We'd love to hear from you at GetBirdingPod on social media. I'm Myra Rose Craig, also known as Bird Girl, and Get Birding is a peanut and crumb production, supported by Seven Trent Water and Swarovski Optic. We'll leave you with Tan Yard Side, performed by a nightingale, Sam Lee and Lisa Knapp. I thought she An angel bright Come tripping down so long Think I'm And I daily labor for my bread And by the Thank <laughs> you.
I'm by the time outside. 
Thank <laughs> you.